Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Today on the show, we're going to talk a little about alfalfa production. But even if you don't raise alfalfa, there are a lot of things that we'll get to that will apply to just about any crop. If you've got any questions for us or if you would like to talk about something else and something going on in your farm, our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. We're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag in just a minute. Before we do that, I'll give you a couple of things to think about with alfalfa. Number one is this is a perennial crop. So I would really encourage you to think about this differently than any annual crop you raise. So if you raise corn, soybeans, wheat, whatever it is, I mean, a lot of the crops that are produced in the United States and Canada, they are annual crops. Well, you can fertilize every year and you're in good shape. You can't do that with alfalfa. I'll give you an example. Phosphorus. You go out and lay phosphorus. Let's say that you're going to put more phosphorus out each year. You go, all right, I'm going to remove some phosphorus when I take the alfalfa off each year. So I'll put a little back each year. Doesn't work. Here's why it doesn't work. Phosphorus doesn't move in soil. So you're going to lay it on the soil surface. Guess what? It's basically going to stay there. It might get a quarter inch deep, maybe a half inch deep, but it's going to stay there for a really long time. So you can take those exact same dollars that you're going to spend over the three-year, four-year, five-year life cycle of your alfalfa. Take those exact same dollars you were going to spend a little bit at a time every year in phosphorus, put it all out up front, and put it down in the ground. Put it four inches down, six inches down, something. Just put it down in the ground somehow, some way. I don't care how you do it. Strip till, uh, uh, deep injection, um, if you want to broadcast and then work it in. I, I don't care. Just get it down in the ground somehow, some way, and then it's safe. All you have to worry about with phosphorus is erosion. You don't have to worry about anything else. You're not going to leach it out. Okay, It's not going to happen. Even in the light soil, not going to happen. So put that phosphorus out for the life of your stand right away. And now you're going to get a better return for the same exact dollars you were going to invest over the life of your stand. All right, so that's one enormous tip that I hear almost no one talking about with alfalfa production, and you need to do it because it will make you more money. And the same can be said for copper, zinc, and to some degree potassium. If you're in heavy soil, not a lot of rainfall, do the same thing with potassium too. Oh, and by the way, when you look at alfalfa production, you you got to consider you're going to remove a lot of nutrients because the whole crop basically leaves the field. Everything above ground leaves the field. It's different than like corn or soybeans or wheat where you're going to leave the residue out on the field. No, you're taking the whole thing. So what we would encourage you to do is go to the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal app, just punch in alfalfa, and with our alfalfa numbers, it's dry matter, dry material. Okay, so that's dried down. That's not tons you're going to harvest off the field. It would be the same. It would be tons after being dried down. Okay, but nevertheless, just look at the life of your sand. How many dry matter tons are you going to pull off? Let's just say it was you were going four years, you're going to get three off per year. So that's 12 tons. You know how much potassium that is? That's 588 pounds. That's 144 on phosphates. That's not terrible, but it's 588 pounds. And so, again, my point is I know it's going to be upfront money, but you're going to get a much better ROI when you do this. Get it down into the ground so you're not going to lose it. And then 
put it there so the crop can actually use it up instead of laying it on the soil surface. You're going to invest the money up front, but it will pay off. Let me throw a comment back at that too. So I talk to farmers all the time and say, well, that alfalfa really dried the ground out and that's why my next crop wasn't very good. And oftentimes it's no, well, it may have dried it out a little bit, but more importantly, we sucked a lot of fertility out of that ground and we haven't put it back. Right. And that's going to really impact crops for years to come if you don't stay ahead of that. That's right. So again, 12 tons of dry matter, alfalfa, 588 pounds of potassium that left the field. You got to replace that or you're falling behind. All right, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. All right, get this one from J.H., who says, I'm a small farmer. I recently purchased a farm with a soil pH of 5.7. I plan to grow corn this year, and last year it was soybeans. Do you have options or suggestions to adjust the pH up? Soil report recommendations call for two tons of lime, but my local ag supplier is not very interested in applying lime in the spring. Are there other options in this case for a spring application that would have an impact on pH for this year's crop? No. you got to put lime out. Now, you don't have to do ag lime. You could go with some pell lime, pelletized lime, and just put a low rate out this year. Put 300 pounds or something that's going to be quickly available, and it's just a short-term kind of thing. So you could at least do that. And I understand why they don't want to do do ag lime in the spring. We've done it once before, only did it because we had to, and I don't like it. But the good news here is, now I don't know where what the moisture situation is for him, but like for us, the water table is is as deep as it's been in a decade. So if we just get normal spring rain, it's going the soil's going to be much drier still than normal. So that means less issue with trying to get this lime out in the spring. So if any year I was going to do it in the spring, this would be the year. But yeah, you want to get that pH at least into the low sixes. You're not that far off. Five, seven isn't horrible. Okay, just get get it up at least a little bit. You don't have to get to six, eight, but at least get it into the low sixes and that's going to help your yield. Hey, thanks for the question. Uh, I got a question from Andrew. He said, we're putting on boron a half a pound every time we put on urea, which means once in wheat, twice in corn. We've got a 6 to 12 CEC, and our soil test levels of boron are 0.1 to 0.3. Our local dealer says we should save our money and just put the boron on our soybeans. What do you think? I think you're absolutely doing it the right way. Now, what he didn't say is how many dollars he was spending. Or how much rainfall they're getting. Right. Uh, But when you're at 0.1 to 0.3 on boron, that tells us that the odds are high that adding at least a little boron to every crop is probably going to pay. And you got to spoon feed it just like he's talking about. So, nope, I'd put it on every crop at least just a little bit. Not many dollars, but a little bit will help you. Thanks for the question, Andrew. Really appreciate that. We're talking about alfalfa production on today's Ag PhD radio show and taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Stay tuned. Customer service goes a long way when trying something new. Ryan Shaw from Michigan shares how Soil Warrior helped him transition to strip tillage in his operation. The Soil Warrior guys, they are amazing to work with. They made this jump in this transition extremely painless. One question that I get all the time is, how is the service and everything? And I said, well, actually, I get better service from them than I typically do my dealers uptown. They're just amazing. More info at SoilWarrior.com. 
You deserve to have a building that will last for generations. With more than 110 years of experience and thousands of satisfied customers, Morton Buildings is the industry leader you can trust. Unlike other construction companies, you work with Morton Buildings craftsmen from conception to completion. There's no better time to buy. Lock in your new building for 2020 today. Contact your local Morton sales office or visit mortonbuildings.com. With stronger bean prices ahead, don't let white mold reduce your yield and profits again this year. Contans WG reduces sclerotia in your fields, eliminating white mold at the source. White mold was a major problem in 2019, costing soybean farmers valuable yield potential. As you rotate back into those white mold infected areas this spring, protect yourself by applying Contans. Clean your soils and return lost yield potential to every soybean you plant with Contans WG. Precision crop nutrition pays. And AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. The right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. We are talking about alfalfa production. Actually, Brian, you know, we just, I thought about this. We just had a question come in yesterday, and we planned on yep. talking about alfalfa <laughs> for about a month. And somebody said, why don't you talk more about hay production? Well, guess what? Man, you get a great turnaround on your request. We're talking about it on today's show. Now, if you've got specific questions for us about growing great alfalfa, please give us a call. Send us an email. It's a great opportunity to do that. I just happened to be at a, a dairy expo today, and certainly alfalfa production was one of the topics. And I saw a number of exhibitors there talking about alfalfa and gr raising great stuff. Uh, one company I know that loves to raise great crops is AgroLiquid. we got our friend Dan Peter out with us right now coming to us from wisconsin dan how you doing i'm great gentlemen thank you all right you're so, talking about uh, my my very favorite crop outstanding well that's perfect you know we uh we talk a lot about what your favorite crop is and it seems like when you have a favorite crop you're going to learn a little bit more about it spend more time in it so talk to us about this alfalfa crop and obviously there's a, a lot of difference when you talk about a new seeding versus one that's been in for a few years you got some different concerns but feeding that crop that never changes yeah that's right and one of the um there's been some trends in uh, alfalfa production in recent years, um, some of which I think are beneficial, a couple of them I think um, are not. <clears throat> but never, nevertheless, these trends are something that uh, alfalfa has dealt pretty pretty well with. Um, but one of the questions that I get a lot is, why are not alfalfa yields increasing? As a matter of fact, they've actually been flat for the most part since about 1980. But, you know, lots of reasons for that. Uh, one of the things that we do keep improving is our disease resistance, for example. Um, management practices now uh, have trended towards increased quality. Um, and as they go towards more quality, you know, we do tend to sacrifice uh, a little bit on the yield side. So that's been a trend. Another, another significant trend 
uh, probably driven in large part by the um, large dairies now using uh, custom choppers, <clears throat> uh, is the um, scheduling, uh, scheduling every, one, every 21 days or 28 days, rather than depending on the old tried and true peak stick um, analysis and uh, judging cutting, you know, by that, say watching for bud stage, for example, instead of a calendar date. So that does have an impact. Um, alfalfa, uh, the roots um, really don't develop their full carbohydrate content until full flower. If we cut a bud stage, we cut into that a little bit, but they're still approaching um, that uh, full carbohydrate load in the roots at, at bud stage. What does that do? Well, it's a good compromise between yield and quality and also on stand life, um, because as we go to these shorter windows of cut timing and we're cutting prior to bud stage in many cases, we're actually reducing the stand life because we limit the ability of the alfalfa to build those carbohydrate reserves in the roots. Okay, so you mentioned 21 days, and I, a lot of growers that we end up talking to say 28 days is what they're trying to do. Sounds like 21 yeah, could have some drawbacks. Yeah, for sure. Um, but I, I have encountered a, a few of those. Um, 28 day is, is much more common. Um, in the case of the 21 day cutting, uh, that's where guys are trying, trying to, in a shorter growing season, uh, push to get the five cuttings, but, um, they're really, they're really pushing for the rocket fuel. That's not as common as the 28 though. Okay, so when you think about feeding that crop, Brian talked a, a little bit to start our show off by, man, if you're going to seed alfalfa, deal with a lot of the non-mobile nutrients up front. And if you've got some issues with P or K and you know you're going to have a big drawdown here, why not build them up up front? But you certainly want to be feeding that crop as you go, too. What are what are a couple of keys here to, to feeding that crop as you go? Well, if you, say, look at the United States, um, run a line north and south through the Great Plains and say from uh, the eastern half of the Dakotas and Nebraska, for example, <clears throat> Kansas, uh, to the eastern seaboard, uh, the most producers are not going to be fertilizing the first cutting. A couple of reasons for that. Um, a, lot of, a lot of fertility, you know, gets mineralized over the winter and is available to that first crop uh, in the spring. But the other reason is that alfalfa is a luxury consumer. And if you load it up front, that first cutting tends to absorb quite a bit of that applied, of that applied nutrition, not leaving very much for second and third subsequent cuttings. So one of the techniques um, that's been pretty well established and there's good reasons for it is to apply fertilizer um, multiple times. Wait till after the first cut, then top dress, top dress again after the second cut, and then... Um, uh, depending on your soil fertility, you may want to do that again after the third cutting. Uh, but for sure, probably want to do a, a uh, application after your last cutting comes off just for good winterization. And potassium is key with that. Yeah, there's a so lot of there's a lot of important things here on the on the fertility front. The other thing's micros, Dan. I know we get a lot of guys asking about the micros, oh, yeah. and it's not just boron; it's really all of them. It's it's all of them. Um, you know, boron is, is uh, one of the key ones, um, but that's true of a lot of different crops. And, of course, one of the factors with boron is that you, it's very difficult to build and sustain 
a um, sufficient level in the soil because it is such a highly, highly leachable nutrient. It is the most leachable nutrient out there. So rather than trying to build soil levels of boron, you know, my um, recommendations usually are um, applying boron either as a foliar or if you're doing it as a dry, you know, dividing it up into those multiple dry fertilizer applications in between cuttings would be how I would manage uh, boron. Another nutrient that seems to not be given enough attention in alfalfa is sulfur, and that's a secondary nutrient. But alfalfa, because it's a high-protein crop, needs a lot of sulfur. And um, we don't tend to think in terms of sulfur as it's in its relationship to protein, but one of the reasons alfalfa is grown as a forage crop is because of its high-protein content. And um, But protein requires there's amino acids in that protein that requires sulfur and that ratio in alfalfa is about eight to one or nine to one and um, we have to remember you can calculate the amount of sulfur removal but that's what's actually absorbed into the plant and no fertilizer is 100 percent you know efficient so we need to actually be applying more sulfur than what you're calculating as the removal coming off the field so that's a big one uh, for me um some of the others you know are important as well there's some indications that copper perhaps is a little bit more important um, but there's that much research out there with relationship to that molybdenum is highly important especially when you're establishing a new crop generally there's going to be enough molly out there but one of the reasons why alfalfa needs to have close to a neutral ph especially during that seeding year is because um, molly becomes far less available as the pH drops below seven. So therefore, uh, those um, rhizobian bacteria that build the nodules um, become kind of starved from for molybdenum. It's not a tricky nutrient to you to apply as fertilizer though. So best thing to do: get your pH close to neutral. Optimize your um, nodulation on on the uh, on the roots. And also, you know, you look at other um, nutrients as far as their availability as well. Uh, manganese, for example, um, boron, uh, copper, and zinc, they're at or close to optimum right at that pH of 7. Yeah, it's important to get things in balance in soil. And you mentioned soil pH. I know we're going to talk more about that on our show today. We're talking with Dan Peterson with AgroLiquid. And alfalfa is Dan's favorite crop. I don't know if you could tell. <laughs> Brandon and I are just sitting here. Man, Dan is fired up about alfalfa, and that's awesome. Dan, oh, yeah. thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on, and good luck here heading into the spring. Thank you much. All right, we kind of hit the nutrients there, but there's a lot more that goes into alfalfa production. We'll talk about that coming up here on today's program. Also, if you have questions for us, if you're raising alfalfa or if you're using alfalfa as feed and you're just thinking about something and want us to talk about it, we would love to. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll be right back. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice. 
with powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. Protect your empire. Rule your fields with dual modes of action. Low use rate Authority Supreme Herbicide from FMC combines Group 14 and Group 15 modes of action for pre-plant and pre-emergence control of key broadleaf weeds and grasses. A preventative application keeps your fields clean when it matters most to crop productivity. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Step it up this season. Do more than just keep your soybean fields clean with Authority Supreme or Authority Edge herbicide from FMC. Walk those clean fields with pride and enter for your chance to win a $500 Cabela's gift card. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at stepitupwithfmc.com. Always read and follow label directions for use. Void where prohibited. Must be a legal U.S. resident and age of majority in your state to enter. See official rules for terms and conditions. As a little girl, I always wanted to run the combine because it meant I was helping dad. And dad always said, farmers are helpers. I'm teaching that to my daughters, that farmers help our family, our neighbors, and our community. It's what I do at work. I help farmers get the equipment they need. My name is Kim, I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe this spring with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. You're looking for soybeans that give you the yield you want. But when it comes to fighting your toughest weeds, you also need flexibility. Introducing Extend Flex Soybeans. Elite genetics with triple tolerance to dicamba, glyphosate, and glufosinate. The yield you want, the choice you need. Learn more at extendflexsoy.com. Always read and follow IRM where applicable, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're broadcasting from the Morton Studio talking about alfalfa production on today's program and we welcome your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Let's head out to Washington. We've got our friend Drex with us. He's been holding. Drex, thank you so much for hanging on there. Good afternoon. All right, so a lot of questions for you with alfalfa production, and certainly we've had kind of a wacky last year here, to say the least, and and imports and exports have been pretty tricky. How about the hay market up in Washington? How has that been impacted? The, I think tricky is a good good word to uh, to apply to the to the market. Uh, you know, fourteen months ago we had some pretty optimistic. Uh, goals and outlook on the market and just along with everybody else and all their markets, ours got kind of shook up. Um, we've actually seen things perform fairly well, all things considered. Our partners in the dairy industry uh, hit some rough waters, which obviously 
uh, translates down the line to us. Um, hay stocks are not necessarily extremely long. Uh, they're not as short as we would have hoped. We did not have uh, a whole lot of heavy uh, winter weather. We were fairly mild and uh, a tiny bit on the dry side. In February, the mountains got a lot of snow, but uh, everywhere else didn't see it. Things are greening up, and I think we're seeing um, feed start to be available pasture for folks here pretty soon. And, and so we'll just have to see how things go, but, um, we're, I, the early indications are there may be uh, quite a few acres here in the P and W that maybe get a first cutting of alfalfa and then uh, guys may try and take advantage of the rising corn market. We'll have to, have to see how some of that pans out. But uh, I know folks here are getting kind of uh, tired of the uh, uncertainty in our markets. We battled a lot of tough weather in first and into second cutting. So there was a lot of lower quality hay made and that uh, that's what you see still sitting in inventory if, if guys have stuff on the farm. Sure. The higher qualities have moved to our dairy partners and our export customers overseas as a as a general statement. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting year, no doubt about it, with uh, the commodity prices, the way they are, and the markets moving. And you're right, uncertainty, nobody likes that in any line of work, and certainly with farmers, with all the investment that goes into raising a, a really good crop, it's pretty tough to do that when you're really uncertain. Talk, talk to us about some of the challenges in your area. I know we get a lot of calls and soil tests out of your geography with really low soil pHs, that seems like a pretty big challenge if you're growing alfalfa. Uh, I suppose it can be a big challenge if you grow alfalfa. I'd say it's a, it's just par for the course out here because uh, so many of our other crops like the low pH. You know, the spud guys really like to see that low pH ground. And um, so it's just something that you have to work with uh, I'd say a lot of it and this sounds kind of maybe off target the rudimentary but it really goes to uh, good seed establishment seed bed prep and that kind of stuff because that that's where you get your 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 best root system your best population, and uh, you know a strong stand is is able to uh, work through adversity and, and, and thrive through the good times. So, um, you know, a good, I'd say good pre-plant fertility package and, and seed bed is, or not seed bed, but, but just seed establishment, good germination and, uh, and just getting off to a good start is probably what we find is the, the biggest thing. Um, and, and I like what your last guest said about, uh, more frequent, smaller applications of fertilizer instead of trying to front load everything. Yeah, I, I uh, think some of that depends on where you're at, too, and, and how you're doing things, what you have for equipment and so forth. I know for, for Brandon, we talked to a lot of dry land guys with deep and heavy soils, and they have a challenge getting the nutrients down into the zone. And uh, you aren't necessarily in an area with tons of rain. Is a lot of the hay there irrigated where you're at 
Yes, yes, and that that was one of the things when you brought up, uh, you know, how guys get get things done and what they have for tools in the field. Um, the the majority of of acres here in the southeast corner of Washington State and the northeast corner of of Oregon, and even moving uh, into Idaho, the Boise Magic Valley there, um, you know, we're we're a high high percentage of of irrigated fields instead of dry land. And so we do have the luxury of, of some product through irrigation in between cuttings. Sure. And that is, you know, that's, that's why I, I did say that, you know, a, a good pre-plant fertility analysis and package is very important because uh, especially with stuff like phosphate, I, I know there's some folks that think you can get it to move. I'm on the other side of the, debate uh, you know i just don't think phosphate moves as readily as some of our other stuff and and alfalfa will use up a lot of phosphate Absolutely. so Absolutely. Um, so so i i really that's why i say you've in any of our crops but where alfalfa is a perennial multi-year crop it, it just kills you when you have to start out with a deficit whether it's a deficit of of available nutrient or uh, low plant population um undesirable ph i mean it just just you you never uh, you know if you start out at 80 percent, you can never achieve 100 nope nope that's for sure it is it is definitely a challenge we're talking with drex out in southeastern washington drex thank you so much really appreciate all the information that you're sharing and and good luck here heading into this uncertain year thank you guys have a good afternoon you bet you as well uh we've got our friend rocky lemus down at mississippi state with us right now rocky how are you today I'm doing great. Um, I'm here. I'm surrounded by a, a beautiful uh, a stand of alfalfa that we're doing some projects with them, and it's getting ready to bloom and getting ready to harvest already. Okay. Talk to us about that. I've got one question for you today, and since you're going to be uh-huh. the first one in this conversation that gets to cut some hay, uh, how are you timing it? We had an earlier guest that said, okay, everybody wants to get on the schedule. Well, I shouldn't say everybody, but a lot of folks want to get on this 28-day cut schedule. Is that popular in the South, or are you really looking at what, what stage that plant's at? Well, I usually look more at what the stage the plant is, uh, especially if you plant if a First year establishment, let's say you established last fall, and you're going to start cutting alfalfa. Usually, when you plan in the fall, the first year, the first cut will come probably late April. I, I target at least 30 percent uh, bloom uh, because our environmental conditions. I want that alfalfa to be very well established and ready to go for for the uh, the humidity and the heat that we get later in the summer. Uh, then once you get into the second year, you're going to get uh, the alfalfa is going to stay semi-dormant for us in the winter, so it's going to come up much earlier in the spring. So when you get into the second year, what we recommend then is you can bring it down to either 10% bloom or usually at the bottom stage for the first cut. Yeah, and that's just such a big thing. And we were talking about it a little bit about just trying to have a good life of that stack. It's expensive putting alfalfa in, and I, I love that you pointed out that first year, you got to treat it a little different and give it a chance to get that root system established. And that's correct, you know, and especially like the the previous uh, person on the farm, you know, providing uh, a little bit of fertility along with each of the cuts is going to be essential for us to also maintain that stand healthy and productive. 
Yeah, that's that is a great tip as well. Keeping that that plant happy and healthy and fed is important. And you mentioned just the heat and the stress you're going to see. You know it's coming every summer. It just allows you to tolerate it so much more. Uh, Rocky, we we didn't have much time today, but we do really appreciate having you on. We'll have to talk to you again soon. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Talking about alfalfa production on our show today, and I love this because we got to talk to Rocky down in Mississippi. He got to comment on what Drex was saying up in the state of Washington, completely different climates, yet some of the same types of recommendations to reduce stress on that crop. We'll talk more about alfalfa and take your calls and questions right after this. You work for results. That's why the Enlist Weed Control System gives you flexible tank mixing, near-zero volatility, a wide application window, and proven weed control. Because the Enlist system was built for your results. Get better weed control with no ifs, ands, or buts at Enlist.com. Enlist.com. Wherever you go, whatever you're doing, whenever you want. Farm your way with Case IH AFS Connect. Now you can farm, share data, and manage your fleet however, whenever, and wherever you want. Learn more at caseih.com slash farmyourway. High-yield growers know that bringing in big bushels means establishing excellent emergence. Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from FarmShop MFG. The Germinator spike design excels in variable soils and eliminates sidewall compaction. But what makes the Germinator unique is its inner rim shoulder firmer, which encases the seed with soil, maximizing seed-to-soil contact. It's not just any closing wheel. Reach your yield potential at FarmShopMFG.com. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher, even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Don't let resistant weeds win on your field. Herbicide-resistant weeds are a fierce competitor of corn growers. Tough 5EC, a selective contact herbicide manufactured by Belgium Crop Protection, can help. Tough 5EC synergizes HPBD inhibitors and enhances the effect of PS2 herbicides. Add Tough 5EC to your post-emergence tank mix team and beat resistant weeds. Ask your local retailer about Tough 5EC or visit BelgiumUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions.
Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio. Today we've been talking about alfalfa production. We're going to jump to the phone lines again. We've got Tim calling in from Wisconsin. Tim, how are you today? Very good, thank you. You bet. I hear you got a, uh, a sludge story for us that, that you wanted to talk about with alfalfa. Yeah, so I'm a wastewater treatment engineer. I sure. kind of specialize in that, and I've been doing it for 40 years, and I actually ran a wastewater utility in Sturgeon Bay, Wisconsin, for many years. Okay. And um, we had uh, local, a lot of local dairies there, obviously. Yeah. And... Uh, we had a hard time finding anyone who would take our sludge, and we finally got one farmer to give us 20 acres out of his 40-acre alfalfa field. Okay. And uh, we put it on, mm-hmm. um, and at first cutting, uh, the side that we put sludge on was a foot taller <laughs> than the other side of the field. Yep. And and we were able, uh, based on uh, Wisconsin's laws, to to spoon feed it all summer too yep. after every cutting we could go out and and put sludge on right and uh he just had unbelievable hay production compared to all of his neighbors and and that was the last time we ever had a problem getting rid of it <laughs> and, and 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 based on what i'm hearing from uh, your other uh, callers um you know the sludge is, is it's got copper it's got molybdenum oh, it's right. got potassium it's yep. got i mean it's got all the micros yep. In addition to the nitrogen, which is, you know, kind of luxury uptake for, for uh, alfalfa. But, uh, you know, if you have listeners who can get some of that and it doesn't uh, it doesn't cause them any heartache, I've, I, we were just amazed at the performance Im- improvement. Hey, with Tim, the wastewater sludge. Let, me throw, let me throw a similar story in. So Brandon and I were doing a meeting up in North Dakota, and there was a grower that brought in a sample of sugar beet lime. And he said, what do you think about this? I can get this lime, and they've got a bunch of it. They need to get used up. Uh, would it work in my situation? And and we looked at the soil test. We looked at the test from the lime. We're like, man, that'd be fantastic for you. And we got a call like the next day from the sugar beet plant. They said, we had a pile here that had been building up on us, and it all went in one day. <laughs> what did you guys yeah. tell people at that meeting? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah. It, was, it was really so, funny. So, hey, Tim, my follow-up question for you is how high a rate? What what did you find for the right rate? What did you do? Do you remember? Uh, so, uh, yeah, we could put on, and, and we were running about 1.5% to 2% solids in the sludge, so it was a liquid application. Gotcha. And we could put on about twenty to 25,000 gallons per acre a year. Per year, yeah. And um, how, how many know, applications? Yeah, on, four? Know, yeah, four applications, yep. yes. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Gotcha. And, and like I say, I w- we were just amazed, and it, it made our problem of getting rid of the sludge go away. So it was a, it was a win for everybody. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, a lot of people will ask us about water treatment, uh, sewage treatment, you know, all these plants that have this what is called waste material. And I go, well, wait a second here. That's not waste material. Why aren't we using that somehow in our crops? 
I look at that as manure. Yeah. And, you know, we, it's, re, it's recycling. Right. That's what we're doing. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. And I agree with you 100%. I was going to bring that up about the micronutrients and everything. That's typically why we're seeing the gains. But then also the nitrogen. And you mentioned luxury consumption. It's the same kind of thing in soybeans, though. It's not always luxury consumption because sometimes alfalfa just simply for whatever reason isn't putting out enough sugar for the bacteria to create the nitrogen to bring it back into the plant well if you've got a little extra nitrogen there it's certainly not going to hurt and you know your evidence even in that first case one foot taller on the first cutting i mean that's that's dramatic so yeah that's a that's a great story uh we really appreciate that uh thanks for the call tim yeah, well, and I just want you guys to know I'm not a farmer, but I listen to your show every day. I'm kind of addicted. I love I love your scientific approach to farming, so <laughs> thanks for doing what you do. Awesome. You bet. Yeah, call us anytime. Thanks, Tim. All right. Thanks a lot. Yep. Bye. Let's head out to Wyoming here. We've got Ross on with us right now. Ross, how are you doing today? Oh, doing fine. Doing fine. All right, so we were talking about alfalfa production. We, we've talked to folks in Wisconsin. We've talked to folks out in the state of Washington, down in Mississippi. Uh, I can only imagine uh, production in Wyoming is going to be slightly different for alfalfa. What are some of the big challenges that you've got there growing good alfalfa? Oh, I think the challenges. I try to get three cuttings in between the 10th of June and the end of August. And and are you irrigating or are you dry land? Yeah, that's that's on the irrigated land, right? Yep. Yeah, we get some. We have some dry land sometimes. Uh, last year was pretty pretty dry. Uh, we didn't get any dry land uh, hay at all, and actually we uh, we were running out of ordinary grass on the, in the pasture, which ordinarily we wouldn't run out till like uh, late December, and we ran out to end of August. So it was quite different. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Hey, uh, I want to make sure we cover. You, uh, Janelle said you may have some soil test questions for us as well. Uh, yeah, I went ahead and got the, the soil test recommendation through your uh, program here the last uh, last fall, and uh, so on my recommendations here it listed uh, potassium. Uh, I might need three hundred to three hundred and eighty pounds per acre for a six ton alfalfa, according to my soil test here. And uh, so one question I had on that too was on, so I had quite a few samples on that 100 acre field. On the recommendations, do they kind of uh, average that in and give a variation then of what you might might apply or? So what, uh, what, what it would be is for each individual soil sample, there is a recommendation. And so if you're looking at the summary, then that might be an average, but I mean, you can create variable rate maps based on the different soil tests that are out in that field. So that some areas might need 100 pounds, other areas might need the 400 pounds or whatever it would happen to be. So then um, you aren't spending money where you don't necessarily need it. Right, right. Okay, yeah, maybe I need to delve into that a little more too because I just kind of took the average so far. Oh, sure. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, that's, that's one of the things that we have really liked just with technology here in the last few years is being able to do some variable rate stuff. And even if it is only just a few samples in a field, anything is better than nothing because 
fertilizer is expensive and you hate to overspend but by the same token and i mean it's just evidence like with our last caller talking about that sludge um you hate to underspend too because then you got lost dollars that are there yeah well and like i said we haven't really done any fertilizing before on this field it's been raising hay i think for a hundred years but i have the opportunity now to to go ahead and try a, I think a good heavy application of this potash and this sure. phosphorus and these micronutrients and we'll be able to see in the second half of that pivot how it works out. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, you know, the other thing is when you start talking about big rates of potassium, like you mentioned there, that's not just a one-year thing. That's for multiple years. So what a lot of guys will do is they'll say, all right, look, I don't want to do all this in one shot or whatever. I mean, you, you can make changes based on what you think. But yeah, if your soil tests are showing low, then we know how much potassium is getting removed by the alfalfa. And we know that potassium is really important for that stand, for just the stand health, for the vigor, for even you mentioned on dry land and not getting any hay off there. We do know for a fact that if soils have ample and balanced nutrient levels, the crop will use less moisture. Now, I'm not saying that, that that's going to fix it if you get zero rain. I mean, no, nothing can do that. But the point is, if a crop is short on any one nutrient, the, the crop will start pulling more water in because water is how the, the nutrients come in. So we make our crops water wasters when we don't have the right amount and the right balance of nutrients in the soil. So anyway, lots we can talk about there. If you have any specific questions for us ever with the uh, soil test stuff, just let us know. And we could certainly have somebody get back to you there too um, if you've got specific questions about you know how you set up a variable rate map or any of that kind of thing yeah might might do that in the future we'll see okay sounds good well hey uh, ross thanks a lot for calling in today really appreciate it best of luck to you out there yeah thank you guys for all your information you bet yep anytime thanks we're talking about alfalfa on today's show we'll be right back Introducing Kyber Soybean Herbicide from Corteva AgriScience, the newest premium Group 15 pre-emergent solution. Kyber delivers three effective modes of action for long-lasting residual activity, meaning your fields won't just be clean, they'll be Kyber clean. And what is Kyber clean? Well, it's a little like... Nice fields! See the difference at kyberherbicide.com soy. That's K-Y-B-E-R herbicide.com soy. When it comes to trusted herbicide formulations, you know New Farm, and you certainly know New Farm exclusive Weedmaster. For decades, Weedmaster has been the go-to herbicide for consistent burndown weed control in a huge variety of crops, and in range and pasture management too. Don't let yield-robbing weeds stand in the way of your progress or profits. New Farm and Weedmaster herbicide here to help. Pentair Hypro Express Flush Valve reduces plug nozzles and improves cleanout of your spray boom. Simply flush boom sections with a quarter turn ball valve and leave your tools in the cab. Plus, installation is easy. Simply remove the existing end cap plug and replace with the Hypro Express Flush Valve. Learn more at pentair.com slash hypro. Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our spike design excels on variable soils and shatters compaction. Plus, the unique shoulder firmer encases a seed to maximize seed to soil contact. Order yours at farmshopmfg.com. 
Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards. And that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. AgroLiquid is precision crop nutrition. That means being committed to product performance, to research and field testing, and to superior agronomics. Most of all, AgroLiquid is committed to delivering precisely the right nutrition in the right way, including seed-safe planter plus side dress applications and foliar applications with low burn risk. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Thanks for listening today to Ag PhD Radio. I am Brian Hefty along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio and we're going to jump back to the Ag PhD mailbag. All right, Brian, you were talking a little bit about how Prowl was undersold as a soybean pre-herbicide. You okay. made a comment that people aren't comparing apples to apples right. on the rates. Yep. And Adam sent in a question. He goes, can you talk about that a little bit more? What actually is the rate on Prowl if you did the full rate? And, and just explain what you're talking about there with apples to apples. Yeah, so a lot of times we're talking 3 or 3.6, depending on what kind of Prowl you're getting. Keep in mind, there is Prowl 3.3 EC, and then there's Prowl H2O. So that's the first thing. The second thing is when we're comparing to trifluralin, the full rate of trifluralin is two pints. Almost no one uses two pints. And in fact, we don't even recommend two pints in most cases because we're so worried about carryover. Now, what you're going to give up when you cut the rate back and you go like, for example, trifluralin. If you run a three-quarter rate, okay, a three-quarter rate of trifluralin is still really good on grass. I mean, like really good. But you start dropping off some of the broadleaves. And by broadleaves, I don't mean all broadleaves. What the yellows will, will control, and by yellows, I mean trifluralin, prowl, and then there's also sonolin in there too. So the yellows as a category, they are real good on a lot of the small-seeded broadleaves, which would include palmer pigweed, water hemp, lamb's quarters, um, and a few other weeds like that. Okay, So those are the weeds that we're talking about in terms of control. And I'm just saying, when you drop to that three-quarter rate, you're not going to do quite as good on those small-seeded broadleaves, which does kind of stink. But when we talk all the time here on the show about, hey, use three different pre-emerge herbicides that are all effective in terms of having activity on some of these Roundup-resistant weeds, well, you're going to throw in two other things anyway. So if you're only at a three-quarter rate of trifluralin, as, as my example here, it's not like it's the end of the world, okay? Because you're also going to throw in either Valor Authority, plus you're going to throw in Metribuzin. So between the three things, you've actually got pretty good control. 
All right. So when we go to, and I just wanted to pull up um, on the actual label, just so you understand uh, what they will really tell you for soybeans. Uh, because again, you know, we're usually talking three or 3.6 pints. With the Prowl label, they're going to have a different rate depending on what your soil texture is and depending on what your soil organic matter is. So for example, if I'm in a coarse textured soil, then the the full rate is 1.8 pints of Prowl 3.3 EC. But if I'm in fine textured soil, if I have less than 3% organic matter, it's 2.4 pints, and more than 3% organic matter, it's 3 pints. So I'm just trying to say here, um, a lot of people will start comparing 3 pints of Prowl 3.3 EC to 1.5 pints of trifluralin, well, that's not a fair comparison. So yeah, the 1.5 pints of trifluralin costs 4 bucks. The 3 pints of Prowl's 3.3 is probably going to cost, yeah, I don't know, 12 14 something like that. It's a lot more money. So that's basically where, where I was going on this whole thing. You got to compare apples to apples. So I, I know Prowl's a little more expensive, but the big time advantage here with the Prowl is you don't have to till it in. So that's really what we're looking at. Oh, yeah, because nobody figures any cost with that, Brian. Nobody figures that, oh, yeah. that tillage pass, that's not for free. And you do have wear and tear on equipment and so forth. Yeah. And I was just going to say with soybeans, so when you look at, let's say, the uh, uh, Prowl H2O label, well, that's a little bit lower rate. So, for example, where I said three pints on 3.3 EC, well, now you're talking 2.5 pints uh, on soybeans so uh for the prowl h2o so anyway yeah it's just a little bit different and it all depends on which specific product you're using the h2o or the 3.3 all right thanks for the question uh brian this one comes in from doug and he said i was looking online there's a company named provivi that is using yeast to make insect pheromones could possibly be some help for you with your soybean gall midge problem you're fighting they would spray the pheromones to block the adult uh, in the breeding process, causing the population to potentially crash. Yeah, it's an interesting technology. Lots of new so, technologies so what, out so there. So what, what does it do? What did you say? Block the adult? I, I don't. So that, that, I, I get that they can make pheromones, but what's that going to do? Uh, okay, blocks the adult from breeding. Yeah, I, I mean, if, if there's some way that that could possibly work, let, let's face it. When it comes to soybean gall midge, or let's say it's wheat stem sawfly or something like that. I mean, we're looking for any possible answer that there could be. And so it was interesting. Darren and I were talking about this question during our last commercial break. And Darren just said, yeah, we could send this over to our research guys and they could check into it. And I said, well, I think we need to talk about it on the radio because here's the thing. We got a lot of smart people listening right now and a lot of people who know somebody that's really smart, maybe some scientist out there, and you hear it on our show and you go, hmm, maybe we should look into that. We've had other ideas like this where we go, look, we don't have an answer. Maybe somebody could come up with this and somebody does. So <laughs> if you want to look into insect pheromones that could possibly help us with insects like soybean gall midge or wheat stem sawfly, some of the bugs that we just simply have no good answer for, yet they're causing millions and millions and millions of, of dollars worth of damage each year. Um, I'm on board. 
Yep, that's for sure. Okay, get this from Fernando, and he said, you guys are talking about the environment and being wise with the dollars that you're spending, yet sometimes I hear you talk about farmers, and they should apply nitrogen four times to the soil if it's light. That means more gas, more money, more time to do all this work. This isn't a perfect world. Just put down 250 pounds of N and try and catch some of the runoff in other ways. Well, Fernando... That's just not the world we're farming in, in my opinion. If we have nitrogen that's leaving our fields, we're going to get more regulation, and all of a sudden we aren't going to be legally able to apply that much nitrogen in a shot. We've already seen this happen in other countries around the world. We're trying to do what we can to limit any nitrogen leaving our field. There's always going to be nitrogen leaving. There's always going to be nitrogen leaving. Look at how much nitrogen is in the air. So I don't necessarily agree with some of the the ideas that are out there in terms of regulation and so forth. But one thing that we can do and one thing that we know for sure, if we've got light soils and we've got irrigation or heavy rainfall areas, we're going to lose some of that nitrogen to leaching. So we're doing everything we can to try to manage that by putting nitrogen on in different forms, by using nitrogen nitrogen stabilizers, by putting on lower doses of nitrogen. The other thing that we're seeing, Fernando, that actually pays for some of this more gas, more money, and more time is we're actually getting more yield in a lot of cases when we're spoon-feeding that nitrogen out there as the crop needs it. So I get it. I don't want to have to make multiple applications of nitrogen either, but sometimes it's a good idea for the environment and also for your back pocket too. Thanks for the comment, though. Thanks for checking out our show. Uh, let's head back to the phone lines. we got Greg in Kentucky on right now. Greg, how are you? Doing fine. How about you? Good. I understand uh, you want to talk a little more about the prowl? Oh, I just want to pass along. That was a very excellent segment that we that y'all just aired there. I thought it was really good. It, it really you know, shows how to compare apples to apples. But uh, at the very end, he was saying that uh, if prowl does not have to be incorporated. Right. And in my understanding, and I, like I say I could be very wrong on this, if we didn't have a rain within seven days, uh, some kind of shadow incorporation is needed on prowl? No, it's really not. So you can leave okay. the prowl out there longer than that. It's just they're they're going to the reason why they're going to recommend tillage after seven days is because is basically not going to be active until later in the season then. it's. I'd tell you the exact same thing with all the Group 15s we spray where guys don't till those in. So I'm talking about things like Harness, Surpass, Outlook, Dual, Zidua, all yeah. the same type of thing. They'll work without tillage, but if you don't get rain, then it's just going to take longer till they're activated. So <laughs> we farm in South Dakota, and it's very common for us to go a month or two with no rain. So a lot of guys, that's the number one complaint about any of these pre's that you don't work in. Uh -huh. Guys around here will go, well, that didn't, product didn't work. And I go, no, it worked just fine. It's just it rained a month and a half after you sprayed this stuff, and then you had your great weed control. Well, if you want the great weed control early and you don't get rain, that's when we would encourage you to work it in. So, yeah, it's just it's I realize it's a little bit semantics, but you're not going to lose the prowl if it doesn't doesn't rain in seven days or you, you don't till it right. in in that time. Yep. For, but, but for earlier weed control, a, a slight decorporation would have yes. worked. Absolutely. A little, I mean, in that, okay. Yes. Yep. Thank you so much for that clarification. I really appreciate you. <laughs> you, you, so you bet any time, Greg. Thanks for calling. Always a fun show when we get callers like that and get, get that discussion going back and forth. Hopefully there's some ideas towards alfalfa production that you can utilize on your farm or at least can talk about and debate to try to make your farm even better this year. 
Thanks for listening to our program today. Be sure to tune in each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.